of all, almighty creator, sustainer, you spoke and the world came into existence. The mighty power, the omnipotent one, we truly desire to repent and to worship and to glorify your name this day. Father, we as a nation are in trouble. Our churches are weak. Christians need to be strengthened and encouraged. And I pray, Father, today for a special touch of your power upon us. Cleanse us, O Lord, from all of our righteousness. Create within us a clean and pure heart that we might walk with you and bring glory and honor unto your name. We thank you for this church. We thank you what we stand for here. And we pray, Father, that we will become the light 
that you would have us to be in this city. We pray, Father, for Brother Stokes as he comes to preach your word this morning. Pray, Father, that you give him that special anointing that would spill over on all of us. We want to pray for our pastor and his family while they're away. Pray that it'll be a blessed week of R&R for them, and they'll come back, Lord, encouraged and strengthened. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
Thank you. All right, we are excited at this time to have Miss Sherry Lyons. Come on up, Miss Sherry. And all the children out here need to follow you up here. Children, come right on. Children, there are pieces of blue tape. You need to find a piece of tape and set on the tape, okay? Yeah, come on, kids. You're, I see you coming. Keep coming. Find a piece of blue tape to set on the tape. In the front, the second, or even the back row. Find a piece of tape. Kind of come over this way a little bit, too. There you go. All right, now that's for the okay. All right. All right, children, we're going to have a wonderful time here with Miss Sherry. All right. Good morning. How are you all? I don't think it's on. It's number four. How are you all? Good. I'm glad to be up here with you all. Haven't seen you in forever, right? Well, I've got a question for you. Have you all changed? <laughs> Do you all change? Do you get bigger? Do you get taller? Do you get smarter? Sometimes you have glasses, right? that you didn't have before? That's right. Well, I brought some things that have changed since I was a little girl, about your age. And I'm gonna see if you can guess what they are, okay? Any idea? No? This is an eight-track tape. And I used to listen to music on this. Have you ever seen one? No? <laughs> well, what about this? What is this? A record? I used to listen to music on this, too. I was going to be a singer. I used to sit there and play my records and sing, but I didn't become a singer, did I? <laughs> what about this? What's this? CD. I bet you all have seen this before, haven't you? Do you listen to music on CDs? What about this? A tape? Cassette tape? I used to listen to music on that too. Things have changed a lot since I was little. And things are changing for you guys too, aren't they? Like going to the store now? Have things changed? What if, what's changed going to the store? You can't go in? You can't go in? What about school? Has school changed? What's changed about school? You can't go in. You can't go in, can you? Because of the virus. <laughs> because of the virus, yes. Things have changed a lot. What about church? Has church changed? What's changed about church? 
Some of the pews are taped off. There's not as many people. Um, you have to wear something over your face. Mask. But you know what? One person has never changed. Do you know who that person is? God. He's the same today and yesterday, a hundred years ago, and a hundred years from now. So no matter what changes in this world, God is always the same. And it tells us in the Bible, in Malachi 3.6, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. And in Hebrews 13.8, does anybody know if Hebrews is in the New or Old Testament? <laughs> the New Testament, isn't it? It's hard to remember those, isn't it? Well, it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I know sometimes it can be a little scary um, when things are changing around us. But you know what? God is always with us. And he stays the same forever. So we don't have to be scared about that. We know that God is always the same. All right. Who would like to pray this morning? Okay, Caleb. You can take your mask down. Okay. You can pray. You're ready. God, be thinking. Somebody else want to? You did good. Somebody else want to pray? Finish his prayer? God I, oops. God, I thank you for this day that made us to see that you made us come to church to worship you today, the day that we're supposed to worship you in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen. All right, your candy's down there on the front row. Thanks. Wow, thank you, children, and thank you, Miss Sherry. You know, I'm enlightened. I didn't know what that eight-track tape was. <laughs> All right. Oh, we're privileged this morning. You know, Pastor Daniel and his entire family is at Hilton Head, where they go every year this, about this time of year on vacation, and so we're glad today to have Brother David Stokes. He is a director of missions for our Central Kentucky Network of Baptists, Always glad to have David here, and I'm, I know that you will enjoy uh, listening as he preaches after we sing the next song. Love is a theme. We're going to sing it together, and I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing, please. Of the themes that men have known, one supremely stands alone. Through the ages it has shown, tis his wonderful, wonderful law. 
love is a theme, love is supreme, sweeter it grows, glory bestows, bright as a sun, ever it flows, love is a The bells of heaven ring, let the saints their tribute bring, let the world true praises sing, for his wonderful, wonderful love. Love is a theme, love is supreme, sweeter it old when blind and lame to the blessed master came sinners call ye on his name trust his wonderful wonderful love love is a theme love is supreme sweeter it grows glory Bestows bright as a sun, ever it glows. Love is a theme, eternal theme. All right, you may be seated. As you know, this is about the place we used to take an offering in the service. We're not actually taking a live offering, but we do have opportunity at the back. There are black boxes back there you can put your offering in. So many of you have, as a matter of fact, overwhelmingly our church has responded during this period of time financially by mailing in checks, by giving online. There will be, a, if you're watching online this morning, there's a, a text there where you can see how to give online. We appreciate your faithfulness in giving. However, before, uh, instead of an offering, as it would be if it were an offering, we're going to worship this morning by listening to Gail play. She's going to play a medley of songs, and then Brother David Stokes will come and preach for us.
chapter 16. In just a moment, we're going to begin reading through verse, uh, big, uh, verse 13 through verse 20, Matthew chapter 16. But first, let me give you greetings on behalf of your 101 sister churches of the Central Kentucky Network of Baptists. You're one of 102 churches that minister throughout Central Kentucky. We have about half of our churches in Fayette County, and the other half of our churches are in eight other counties that surround uh, this area. And we're thankful for your uh, uh uh, part in that, your contributions, your involvement. Several of your members are a part of our oversight teams, and we're thankful for the participation you give and the way that you uh, contribute as a result of what you do during this time of unusual time. We have been able to contribute to stepping up our ministries throughout the community. We do the ministries that you have known for many years as the uh, related to the Elkhorn Baptist Association, uh, the feeding ministries that we do. But during this time, we've also had some special outreach uh, efforts to hospital workers and to first responders and to others who have been uh, on the front lines for you and I during this pandemic and during this time of, uh, that we're facing right now. And you've been a part by your giving uh, to your church and then your church is giving to our network uh, to be able to minister to them and share the gospel with them uh, during this time. And, and you and I both understand that this has been a very unusual time, but we've also had opportunities that we never dreamed that we would have. Because not only have we not been able to gather the way we would like to as a church, they haven't been able to have ball games and haven't been able to have all the other things that seem to distract people and get people all tied up. And we've had opportunities, and I hope you've taken advantage of these, to have conversation with our neighbors about the gospel, about things that are eternal. Because people are thinking about that. People are open to those types of conversations right now. And we're hearing testimonies of people who are coming to faith in Christ, even as services are being held on Facebook and as they're being Sunday school classes are being held on Zoom. How many have ever heard of Zoom before the pandemic happened? I mean, uh, Zoom was something I said as I was uh, a little kid racing my cars around, but I didn't really know a whole lot about Zoom. We used it, but boy, what an opportunity it's been to uh, be able to teach the Word of God and encourage one another and to have meetings. Our network has been busy during this time, encouraging pastors and instructing and advocating for our churches and working hard. And it's because you support us because of the giving you give to your church and because of the giving your church gives to our network, uh, we're able to do these things and help out. So I want to thank you for what you do. Thank you for how you contribute and how you help us as we do uh, the work that we do together as a group of local Baptist churches. But we came to hear the Word of God this morning, so let's get to the Word of God. Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13 through verse 20. We're going to talk about three truths we need to understand about the church. Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. We're talking about three truths we need to understand about the church. The first truth we need to understand about the church is Jesus never intended the church to get comfortable. He never intended the church to get comfortable. Now why do I say that? Well, first of all, because of where the church exists. We exist in enemy territory. Now Jesus brought his disciples in our text this morning to a place they never expected to have Jesus take them. He took them to the area of Caesarea Philippi at the base of Mount Hermon in front of the temple of Pan and the Benias Springs. And they must have been thinking to themselves, why in the world are we here? You see, Caesarea Philippi was like a red-like district in their world, and devout Jews would have avoided any contact with the despicable acts that were committed there. We have evidence from both the biblical text as well as extra-biblical sources that this vast mountain, Mount Hermon, traditionally was cons considered holy ground by every nation who had ever ruled over it, ever controlled it. It was a formal height and the abundance of water that made people believe that it was a sacred ground where it was at. But it was a, a, this place was connected to the worship of Baal. Now, if you're a student of the Word of God, you know in the Old Testament that many times when the people of Israel forsook God, they followed after the false god, Baal. Well, this place was connected to the worship of Baal. It was connected to the worship of the false goddess Pan. Pan was a god of flocks, represented as part goat and part human. It was also connected to the worship of Zeus. It was connected to the worship of Hades, who was the god of murky darkness of the dead below and was described by ancients as utterly ruthless and the most unyielding of all the gods, the most hateful to all humans. It was also connected to Roman emperor worship, among other deities that man had created in their mind were connected to this place of Caesarea Philippi. But why did Jesus take his disciples here? Now we know from our text he was talking about a number of things, but we know that one of the most important things he talked about is that he introduced the concept of the church to the disciples at this point. So Jesus takes his disciples to one of the most wicked, one of the most vile places in all of the region, and there he introduces the church to them. He introduces a concept of the church to them. So why in the world would he do that? Because this place was essential to establishing the mission of the church. And the mission of the church was to go and impact places the Jewish nation had failed to impact. The heathen culture and nations of all the world. You see, Israel was supposed to be that ambassador, that light to the world, the one that was to make known to all the nations that there was one true God, the Creator God. There was one true God. And there were many times that Israel did that. Amen? I'm thankful for their moments of faithfulness. But the Old Testament's filled with many stories where they were unfaithful. 
that they did not represent God well. They turned their back on God. They were unfaithful to God and unfaithful in their duty. They held hatred in their hearts against people that were different than them. Rather than trying to teach them about the Lord God Almighty, they separated themselves from them and looked down upon them, even refusing to allow them into the temple of the living God. These things were contrary to the will of God, but Jesus brought the disciples here to say to them that what Israel had failed to do, He was going to commission the church to do. That the church was to go to the hard places, the darkest places, the toughest places, and we were to be the church in those places. You see, Jesus knew where He was planting the church. So yes, we're not to get comfortable, because this is not our home but... And that's but with a capital B, capital U, and a capital T. He never meant that we were to use it as an excuse for a minimal impact. And yet we see people do that. We say, well, you just need to understand our church isn't growing because the world around us is more secular than it's ever been before. The world around us is more wicked than it's ever been before. There's all sorts of distractions in the world today. And that's the reason why we can't make an impact. But Jesus took the disciples to one of the most wicked places on the face of the earth where people have been distracted for centuries. And there he announced that the church was going to be born. And he said the church was going to destroy the gates of Hades and have the power to do that. Let me tell you something, the church was born exactly where it was born in the world we were born in, not so that we would have an excuse for not making an impact, but so we would understand that we have the power through God to go into darkness and be light. We can go into a world that is rotting and we can be salt. We can go into a place that is indifferent to the things of God and we can find that we can make an impact for the glory of God. Amen? No, 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 no. That's an amen line right there. That ought, to, that ought to make a Baptist shout. Now, I don't know, maybe you're not that kind of Baptist. Maybe I'll shout, but, but let me tell you something. God is on our side, amen? God is for us. He's not against us. He empowered us and equipped us to be a church that overcomes, not a church that is overcome. We have the power to make an impact in the world in which we live. You see, my friend, I want you to know Jesus never intended the church to get comfortable because where we exist, enemy territory, because of how we exist by spiritual revelation. Now, know what Jesus talks to his disciples about. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he said, but you. He asked them, who do you say that I am? Now here's Simon Peter at one of his best moments. Simon Peter speaks up and he says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Now friend, let me tell you something. What a statement Jesus makes there. He helps us to understand that we do not find God because we went looking for Him. We do not find salvation because we went hunting for salvation. We find God because He came looking for us. We find salvation because He came, His Son left heaven, came upon this earth and died upon the cross, bearing our sins, died and was buried and raised from the dead and by the shed blood of Jesus and the power of His resurrection, we can be born again into the family of God. We are saved 
because the Spirit of God draws us to salvation, because the Holy Spirit of God reveals our sin to us, because the Holy Spirit of God reveals the fact that Jesus' death was the only way to heaven. Aren't you thankful that you were saved because of the revelation of God and not based on how smart you were? Because some of us would be in real trouble. I'm telling you right now, we'd be in a heap of trouble. If it was based on our looks or based on our goodness or based on anything we could offer, we would all be in trouble, amen? I know you're thinking about that person six foot from you right now, but I'm talking to those that are inside that 36 uh, square foot uh, safety zone that you're living in and, and sitting in right now. I'm talking to you and I that none of us are worthy. The only reason we're saved is that God reached down from heaven and God... Jesus bore our sins in His body and He made possible that you and I who have known nothing but sin might know the righteousness of God through the spiritual revelation of God. Yes, we do need to understand how the world thinks. We do need to understand if we're going to minister in this world and we're going to make an impact on this world, we need to understand how the world thinks. But Jesus never meant for us to be driven by their reasoning are simply satisfied with surviving their rejections. We were meant to be a church that made an impact because we relied upon the wisdom of God and the revelation of God and the power of God and not the power of man. You see, my friend, we need to understand Jesus never intended the church to get comfortable because where it exists, enemy territory, because of how it exists, spiritual revelation, and because why it exists. Why does the church exist? We exist to advance. We're to advance against something. And note what it says, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That ought to, that ought to make you say amen right there. I mean, we're a part of the body of Christ, the church of the living God. And the Bible says the gates of Hades will not overpower us. We will be able to take on any challenges that come in the power of God and we can be victorious for the glory of God. Now we need to understand of the pagan mind, the cave of Caesarea Philippi was uh, created the gate to the underworld where the fertility gods lived during the winter. I, I, I didn't know the false gods took vacation, but apparently they went south for the winter, just like some folks here uh, go south to Florida for the winter. Well, they apparently went into this cave and hid out uh, during the winter. They, they wanted to go to the underworld, and this was the gateway back into the real world. They believed that their city was literally at the gates of the underworld, at the gates of hell. In order to entice the return of their god Pan each year, the people of Caesarea Philippi engaged in horrible deeds, including prostitution and sexual interaction between humans and goats. We're talking about despicable acts that they did to try and entice their false gods out of their winter home and to come back out and engage with humanity. What despicable thoughts they had on their mind. And yet that's what made the pace of Caesarea Philippi such a sacred in the minds of the, the ancients in that day. You see, the city of Caesarea Philippi was a city of people eagerly knocking on the doors of hell so they might get invited to engage in the things that hell had to offer. And aren't we living in a day like that? Where we're seeing increasingly people knocking on the gates of hell 
and inviting the place of hell to involve themselves in their lives that they might engage in all the pleasures and all of the despicable acts that hell creates and that hell encourages and that hell wants us to be involved in. But I want you to know Jesus' church was not to knock on the doors of hell, but note we are to knock down the gates of hell, literally destroying the foundations of unbelief. The church is to be on the offensive. We are to be advancing. And yet, my friends, so many times when I observe us as a church, it looks like we're content getting in our holy huddles and being together and making sure that nobody disrupts our holy huddle. We seem to be content sometimes hanging on to what we've got. In fact, I hear churches say, well, you know what? We did all right this past year. We're about where we were last year. God forbid that we would be satisfied with where we are when God says we're to be going and making a difference and making an impact. God forbid that we would talk about what we didn't lose as much as we thought or we didn't uh, have any, you know, have anybody come into the church that was different than us. I pray that we are a church that's willing to advance for the glory of God because a church is to advance for the glory of God. You see, Jesus was commissioning the church to a huge, huge task to attack evil and to build the church on the very places that were most filled with moral corruption. He didn't call the church to be safe. He didn't call the church to go about isolating themselves. He said that we are to go out in the darkest places and be light. In the places that have the stench of rottenness and we are to be salt. We are to go out and be that witness for the Lord and we are to advance the gospel to all people no matter what their condition, no matter where they are, no matter what they're engaged in for the glory of God. And we're to advance against something, but we're also to advance with something. Now, Baptists are known about being against something. We're against everything. We, we're against this and against that. And sometimes we love it when somebody says we can be against something. But let me tell you something. We're not just to advance against something. We're to advance with something. Know what he says in verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Now, the keys of the kingdom represent authority. Bind and loose to a Jew meant to impose a release from a legal obligation or penalty. The literal translation of Matthew 16, 19 is, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be that which has been bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be that which has been loosed in heaven. So note the binding and the loosing has already been done in heaven. This special power, listen to this. This special power that Jesus conferred was thus only to announce authoritatively what had already been decided in heaven, not to make pronouncements on our own initiative. Let me tell you something. God did not authorize the church to make up rules. He didn't authorize the church to, to create their own set of rules. He authorized the church to speak authoritatively about what He has declared true from heaven. Amen? And we are not in the business of deciding, well, you know, that's a little old fogey and a little old-fashioned, so we're going to change that and tweak that. No, if the dust saith the Lord is clear, then we need to clearly stand with the dust saith the Lord. But we're not to do it mean. We're not to do it hateful. 
We're to do it because we believe in a God who is a God of grace, a God of mercy, who wants to transform the lives of those who are trapped in sin. And we know what being trapped in sin feels like. Because before we became, we came to know the Lord, we were trapped in sin, weren't we? Rock your head this way, let them rocks rattle a little bit, isn't that right? Some of you are not, you know, bat, do it now, do it. I'm telling you, I'll preach the rest of the afternoon until you do this. So I go ahead. Bow your head, just get it rocking back and forth, let them rocks work around a little bit in that head because we're sinners saved by the grace of God. And I'm so thankful that God saved me despite my sin. That God saved me, uh, not because of who I was, but because of who He is. And I'm thankful today that we can advance against something, but we can advance with something. We can advance with the authoritative Word of God, the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus never intended the church to get comfortable, to be satisfied with a minimal impact, or settle for surviving. God intended the church to serve and transform the world around us for His glory. Amen. The first thing we need to learn is Jesus never intended the church to get comfortable. The second thing we need to understand is that each church member must have an unashamed clarity about certain things. First, we need to have an unashamed clarity about what each of us believes. There in verse 16, Peter answers the question of Jesus, where he said, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Let me tell you something. The church is to be made up of people who have been born again from heaven. Those who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have recognized their sin and repented their sins and turned to faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and believed and trusted in Him. We believe in a church of people who have been regenerated, born again, who are part of the family of God because of the love of God and the grace of God and the finished work of Jesus. Amen? It's what we believe in. If you're here today or on Facebook watching today, I want you to know that people don't get to heaven by their good works or by what they do. We get to heaven because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus died on the cross bearing our sins. Jesus Christ shed His blood so that our sins could be forgiven. He was raised from the dead so that your grave and death could be conquered. And I want you to know, my friend, that today God offers a gift to all those who are listening today, and that is a gift of eternal life. If we will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we will receive Him as our Lord and Savior, then we can be saved. The Bible says if we're drawn by the Spirit of God and we uh, take the faith that God imparts to us and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be born again into the family of God. We can become children of God. And I want you to know if you're listening today and you've never come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you as the Spirit speaks to your heart, that the Lord Jesus Christ, is His sacrifice is what was necessary. And I pray that before this day ends, you will have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But see, we need to be unashamed about what we believe. Let me, let me go ahead and get on a hobby horse here a little bit, okay? I, I'm not asking permission. I'm just going to go ahead and take the liberty to do that. But let me tell you something. We, we have a problem in our churches. Because we've got too many people in leadership who are not clear about what they believe. And we've got too many leaders in our churches that aren't clear about who they're faithful to and who they are supposed to be following. We've got people who are in leadership because they have influence. 
and we give them leadership without influence. I've even been in meetings where somebody said, you know, maybe, maybe we ought to give them a position. Maybe they'll show up to church more often. What is wrong with that? That's crazy. You don't give leadership in a church to somebody who's not faithful to the Lord and faithful to the church and faithful to the things of God. We give leadership positions to people who complain. Well, if they don't like it, we'll just let them do the job. God forbid! Why in the world would we give jobs in the churches to grumps? Let me tell you something. If you woke up on the wrong side of the bed and you're grumpy all the time, God didn't make you that way. Your rebellion and sin made you that way. It wasn't God that made you that way. You need to repent of it, amen? And you don't need to put people in leadership who are complainers. You need to put people in leadership who are obedient to the Lord and follow and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? You see, we've got too many churches that are being led by the wrong people. No wonder we're going the wrong direction. We need to be led by Spirit-led, Spirit-filled people who are walking in the power of God who clearly know what they believe. Each church member must have an unashamed clarity about what each of us believes, but then also an unashamed clarity about our value and our role in the church. In verse 17, Jesus responds to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, and also say to you that you are Peter. Man, what an amazing response by Jesus. Because Jesus knew Peter. <laughs> He knew what Peter was going to do in a few minutes. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. He knew the Peter who was bold enough to get out of the boat, but also would get so easily distracted that he would sink into the, into the Sea of Galilee. He knew this was the same Peter who would deny him three times, and yet he said to Peter, you are a value to the church. Aren't you thankful that Jesus said that to Peter? <laughs> I'm so thankful. Because I'm telling you, my friend, if it was based on how much I got everything right, I would be of no value to the church. But my Lord and Savior says, I have value to the church because I've been born again into the family of God. And you have value to the church. Each and every one of us that are born again believers have value to the church. And we have a role to play in the church. He said to Peter as well as to the other disciples, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. He gave them a role. He gave them authority. And I'll tell you, this is a very difficult time for churches. Because we're finding that, that we're going to have to take these steps back in very carefully, aren't we? I appreciate all the precautions you're taking as a church and those that are joining us by Facebook, that you're waiting for the day that you can come back and be in person in the worship services. But you know, I'm hearing too many stories of people said, well, you know, when I get back to church, I'm not sure if I'm going to continue to serve. Let me tell you something, this is not a time for you and I to step away from our duty. This is a time that we step up and do more than we've ever done for the glory of God through His church. The church needs us now more than ever. Because each of us have a role. There's too many people in the church that wear too many different hats because there's too many people that think that they are spectators rather than participators. Let me tell you something, there is no second team bench in the church. Everybody in the church is a first stringer. Everybody's a starter. 
Everybody is to be on the field. Everyone is to be engaged in the work of the church because each and every one of us are valuable and have a role in the church for the glory of God. Each church member must have an unashamed clarity about what each of us believes our value and our role in the church and whose church we are a part of. Now what he said, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, now, be ready, okay? I'm going to try and shock you here. You ready? You ready? I right, lean in a little bit. Lean in. I want you to hear this. I don't want to say it so, so loud that the Methodists hear it. We, we don't give away our trade secrets here, but here, here's the bottom line. Broadway Baptist Church doesn't belong to the members of Broadway. Did you know that? Yeah. Did you know this is not the church? We're the church, right? This is not the church. When we weren't able to gather here, it didn't mean the church was scattered and not able to meet. The church was scattered and able to do all the work we were supposed to be doing even if we couldn't walk into the building. We could still do everything we're commanded to do even if we couldn't walk into the building. Because we're the church. Now, I'm thankful for places to meet. The Bible says we're to gather together and we're to meet together. But I'm telling you, my friend, we some people just said, well, the church isn't meeting, therefore the church isn't doing anything. The church should have been more active during this pandemic than it's ever been before because the church was scattered out in the community with people that were afraid. And we had a message of hope. And we needed to be declaring and should be declaring that message of hope. He said, the bottom line, this is his church. The reference to the rock was meant to first establish a distinction between Peter and James. Jesus was saying, Peter, you're a building block. And he said, Jesus said, I am the foundation. You and I are the building blocks. Jesus is the foundation. Second, the reference to the rock established the idea of a new foundation, a new beginning. We find that when Jesus said that, He was saying, we're going to start with something new. There's going to be something different that's going to be happening. I'm laying a new foundation. Something new is taking place. Third, the reference to the rock to find the mission field of the church. There are two especially visually striking pieces of landscape in Israel. The most prominent is the rock around which the temple in Jerusalem was built. The second is a massive wall of rock as Caesarea Philippi. And guess which one Jesus chose to introduce the church to his disciples. He didn't go to the place of tradition, the place of the law, the place of, you know, the rules. He went to a place of evil and wickedness and darkness and announced the church was going to be unleashed on darkness for the glory of God. You see, he made reference to the rock to let us know that we're not to be sitting on our blessed assurance in the house of God, but we're to be out there in the darkest places making a difference for the glory of God so that we can be the light in darkness. Three truths we need to understand about the church. Jesus never intended the church to get comfortable. You and I must have an unashamed clarity about what we believe, our value, and our role in the church, and whose church we're a part of. And then finally, the health of the church depends on doing things God's way through obedience. Now once again, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. 
<laughs> just think about this. Jesus had just given the disciples an impossible task and then told them they had the authority to get the job done and then He tells them they can't tell anybody He's the Messiah. Every once in a while, I love being a grandparent. I mean, I tell you what, if I'd known grandkids are so great, I would have had them first. Just skip right over the kids, go straight to grandkids. That's my recommendation to all of you. But every once in a while, my grandkids don't want to give Papa a kiss. You know, they'll say, go, go give Papa a hug, go give him a kiss, and they won't do it. So you know what Papa does? Papa says, don't you dare come over here and give Papa a hug. Don't you dare give Papa a kiss. And guess what Papa gets? Oh, he gets the biggest hug. He gets a good kiss, and sometimes I get two or three kisses out of that. You see, that's how humans work. You tell us to do something, and we're prone to not doing it. You tell us not to do something, and <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to do that. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus told His disciples for a reason. There's a corresponding story, at least it corresponds in the idea of Jesus telling somebody not to do something in Mark chapter 1. We have a man with leprosy. Jesus was in Galilee preaching and driving out demons. And a man with leprosy came up to him and on his knees, according to Mark chapter 1 beginning at verse 39, he begged Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The Bible says that Jesus moved with compassion, reached out His hand, and touched a man. What a wonderful Savior. Jesus touched a man with leprosy. Aren't you thankful for that kind of Savior? I mean, that, just think about the compassion and mercy. This man had not been touched by a fellow human in how many years? Who knows how many years since he had felt the touch of another human. But Jesus reached out and touched him. He said, be made clean. Immediately, the Bible says, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then Jesus sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as his testimony. Jesus just freed this man from leprosy and then sternly warned him. Looked him in the eye, shook his finger in his face and said, don't you dare tell anyone, go straight to the priest. Why would Jesus do that? And what do you think the man did? <laughs> the man did not obey Jesus. The man immediately began to tell everyone around him what had happened. And here's why Jesus told him not to tell anybody. Why he told him to go straight to the priest. Because at that point, that man was witnessing the people who had already, that were eyewitnesses to the miracle themselves. They didn't need him to tell them what they had just seen. And there was dozens of eyewitnesses who could scatter from that place and give an eyewitness testimony to the fact they saw a man who had leprosy was cleansed by Jesus. You see, this man did not need the witness to the witnesses. He needed to go to the priest so he could get a certificate. A certificate would have said this man once was a leper and now he is no longer a leper. It would have been signed and sealed by the religious leaders and he could have gone anywhere for the rest of his life and told a story and said, I've got the proof. I once had leprosy and now I'm clean. Let me introduce you to the man who made me clean. He chose to have a short-term ministry instead of a ministry of the gospel for the entirety of his life, because he chose to disobey Jesus, 
and tell the eyewitnesses instead of getting a certificate from the priest that would have allowed him to be the, a witness for the rest of his life. So many decisions we make are short-sighted because we make our decisions based on what we can see, what we feel, what we think in this moment. When we're to be making decisions based on the knowledge of God, the perspective of God, the vantage point of God, so that we can make a decision that will have long-term consequences and not just short-term consequences for the glory of God. But why would Jesus tell His disciples not to tell anyone He was the Messiah? Well, look at what happened in Matthew 16 beginning in verse 21, from then on Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Now why were they not to tell that he was the Messiah? Because they didn't understand what him being the Messiah meant. If they had gone out in their own wisdom at that time, they would have misled everyone they spoke to. There was instruction that still needed to be given. They needed to understand what the Messiah was all about. And because they still themselves needed to see things God's way. Because, know what happens next. Verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Can you imagine Peter saying, Hey Jesus, come on over here. i got to talk to you privately. I don't want to embarrass you in front of the other disciples, but you got this all wrong. This is not going to happen. Now let me tell you something. We say, oh, I can't believe Peter did that. And yet we argue with God all the time. Yeah, that's right. We do. Yeah, we, we think we know better than God. Oh yeah, I know what the Scripture says, but... Well, I know I'm supposed to do things God's way, but... God, you got to know my circumstances. you got to know what I went through. And Jesus said, I know all that and I know what the outcome is. Just trust me and believe me and obey me and it will work out for my glory. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. You see, we are the church. And Jesus never intended the church to get comfortable, to be satisfied with minimal impact, or settle for surviving. God intended the church to serve and transform the world around us for His glory. He called upon us to go to the toughest places and the hardest places and the darkest places and be a witness. In fact, let me tell you something. In these days of the pandemic, in these days of the social uh, tensions that are going on, the church was birthed for a moment just like this. This is not time for the church to be silent. This is a time for the church to be the church. Because the church was empowered and birthed for a moment just like this. If you're here today and, or by Facebook and you've not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that, that you will understand that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that He was raised from the dead, and that as the Holy Spirit draws you to Jesus, if you will repent of your sins and confess your sins and ask Jesus to save you, then He will.
If you today have been challenged to rededicate your life, if you're on Facebook, I encourage you to message uh, the church on their Facebook page, Broadway Baptist Church, to let them know the decision you made. If you're here today and you're making a decision, want to make a decision, I hope that you will seek out one of the staff members. Several have been on the stage today, so you'll know who they are and where to find them. And I hope that you will let it be known what the Lord has said to your heart in the decision that you've made for the glory of God today. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is eternal. Thank you that it is inerrant. Thank you that it is powerful. Thank you, Father, that it can embolden us. It can equip us and help us to do the work you've called us to do. And may we leave here being faithful to be your church, to make an impact on this world for your glory. And if there's one here that does not know you, or one listening by Facebook that does not know you, I pray that this would be their day of salvation for your glory and their good. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for letting me be here, David. Amen. Thank you. Would you stand, please, as we sing together the chorus?